Oh, did we tell you about the mosh pit? No. We think that we're going to close the night out with a late night mosh pit at like 10. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. We asked two friends to make a mosh pit playlist for us. (laughs) So by that time, your clothes are all messed up and everything anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Sue and Austin were never going to get married. We've been together for almost seven years and neither of us really wanted to get married. Um, until, like, for me, I didn't want to get married until I met him. And then I was like, oh, I want to have this experience with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were both a little hesitant because our parents are both divorced. And yet, we are, like, th- a little under three weeks away from the wedding on September 17th. Um, that's crazy. We picked Sue and Austin out of more than 200 couples that volunteered to have us come record their wedding. We were looking for someone who was having a standard secular American wedding. So vows, dinner, friends, family. Sue and Austin's wedding is exactly that. And they are doing it all themselves. They're writing the vows. They're picking the taco bar menu. And they've got friends helping them put the whole thing together. And family? Our families are very different people. Very, very, very different. Your family's from Pennsylvania, Sue? Yes. And uh, how would you characterize them? Um, German. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the other reason we chose Sue and Austin. They're really funny. And how did you guys meet? Uh, We met at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And how did it become a relationship? I try to be cool, but I guess I uh, was very clearly flirting with her for a, a long time. Like, I would bring her breakfast in the morning, and then I was like, oh, you, you're like a yoga instructor, right? Um, we should go do yoga together sometime, and you can help me with my practice. And then I thought that that would be like a fail-safe in case she wasn't into me. It could still be a friendly thing to just go do yoga together. But it turned out she did know that it, I meant it as a date. We went and did yoga together. After the class, we started holding hands, and it's been on ever since then. Flash forward. Almost seven years later, it's August 2016, and even if neither of them plan to get married, it is happening. In a month. What happened? I think it was a gradual thing where, like, over time, I would just get jealous at other people's weddings. I'd be like, ugh, that bitch, I hate this. Why is she opening her presents? Um, And then I was like, oh, it's because I want to have this as well. Uh. And my answer might be equally as romantic as that one. Uh, and it's from going to therapy and, like, I think just working out my own issues about commitment. Because I don't think, like, it was, it was anything about us or our relationship that was keeping me from wanting to get married. I think I just, like, grew up a little bit and realized, like, that this will be fun. Even, like, the idea of a wedding sounded super stressful. But, like, I went to a wedding last weekend and it was so nice just picturing that it's going to be us doing that in a month. Um, so, uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Excuse me. That is for me to decide. Because this is Surprisingly Awesome from Gimlet Media. I'm Rachel Ward, and in this episode, we are talking about weddings. This is the first of two episodes. This week, we are talking about planning a wedding. What does it take to plan a wedding? At what cost? And what does the way a wedding is planned tell you about the couple who plans it? 
Okay, so right off the bat, two things. First, we can only go to one wedding because weddings are exhausting. So you're going to be hearing about one very specific wedding where a woman and a man get married in a not really all that religious ceremony in America, out in the country, in a barn full of chandeliers and Christmas lights. We know that this is just a small sliver of all of the types of weddings that there are in the world. But if you're about the age I am and you follow the Instagram accounts that I follow, this kind of wedding is super ubiquitous. Second, there's a big chunk of you who are saying to yourselves right now, or maybe you're saying it out loud, I don't know what your deal is, weddings are awesome. What are you talking about? What is even up for debate here? Okay, so here is what I will concede to that point. The idea of two people binding themselves to each other for eternity, that is awesome, like in the most Torah, Bible, Quran sense of that word. And weddings themselves can be pretty awesome, like if you get the right combination of like DJ, crowd, food, alcohol. If you've had a wedding, you probably think your wedding was really awesome. But come on, weddings can wear on you. If you've been to, say, three weddings, you've kind of been to all weddings. There are a lot of variations in execution, but the bones of the secular American wedding, those don't change very much. The script for the event is pretty set. Ceremony, dinner, party, shuttle bus, hotel. Even Sue and Austin's own friends are tired of weddings. I feel like I haven't seen wedding pictures that didn't have some subtle flower crown element recently. Also, it's really funny to me, like, whenever Jess, the bridal party, wears them, because they all sort of look like Manson sisters. (laughs) And they're like, hey, like, we're just here wearing flower gowns and writing letters to Charlie. (laughs) It's a social watermark, right? Like, there is some expectation that to grow up, you get married. One time I went to a wedding, and the end of it was like, I'm going to be a proper Jewish wife to you. And I was like, the f*** does that mean? Was it a religious wedding? Like, ish. But it took a left turn. When what does it was, that mean? I don't know, and I'm Jewish. <laughs> the whole formality, and I mean, I grew up of Irish Catholic descent, had to do a lot of church weddings. I don't believe in God, it's fucking terrible. I don't believe in ghosts either. I mean, I, I like to say I spent the whole wedding getting like mauled by people older than me to be like, give me your youth. But it it was it was fun regardless. I, I almost put it on my LinkedIn that it was like worked on my wedding <laughs> like for 11 months, even with a planner. I have seven weddings this year. <laughs> yeah. And it's you're like laughing like it's funny. No, it's you're hemorrhaging money. I know. You're yeah. like the fuck national like, debt over here. Yeah. Just hemorrhaging money to go to these goddamn weddings. I'm, And yet, despite this chorus of voices being like, what even is the deal with weddings? Sue and Austin are in love. And they want to do this thing. They want to plan a wedding, even if the idea of what a wedding is keeps changing. It started as we were going to have a little party. We'll get some pizzas. City Hall. It started as... And now it's like a real thing. I don't know. I think it's like when we got the venue, it all started to snowball. The moment it stopped being City Hall and pizza was the moment that they booked the venue. Because once you've got this big, beautiful, empty room, in this case, a converted barn, you have to fill it. But it's like I didn't originally think I I was like, oh, I don't need flowers or anything. And then I um, started thinking about it. And I the caterer introduced us to a a vendor and I started talking to her and I was like, oh my God, I can do this and this and this and I need it all. 
So a big wedding wasn't the original plan. But Sue and Austin have been really excited about this part of the planning, all of the choices that they get to make to show the world who they are. It's kind of a fun challenge to express your style as a couple in a way that your friends and family haven't seen before at other weddings. It's a chance to be creative. A candy bar is going to be exciting. Oh, God. What's a candy bar? <laughs> it's like a, you know, candy. candy kind of situation. Wow. Yeah. yeah. White candy. Oh, I was, he was in charge, in charge of, of this. This was his job. I was very job. <laughs> excited to be in charge of that. First one's going to be a little upsetting to some of you, maybe. Licorice All Sorts. Any Licorice All Sorts fans out there? <laughs> it's only you and your grandmother. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, if my grandmother's making her trip out there, then she, she deserves needs the some all Licorice sorts. All Sorts. Yeah. Uh, we're talking cowtails. I mean, we got 10 others coming at you. Uh, jelly Bellies. I think uh, Swedish, Swedish fish. fish. Peanut M&Ms, because you need some chocolate. And then we got little buttons with our cat's faces on them. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> that says happily meowed. Happily oh meowed. <laughs> I yes. thought of that. I thought of that. Yes, weddings. <laughs> See what I mean? Surprisingly awesome. Yeah. Okay, these are the awesome things about planning a wedding. Piles of candy, doing something special for your grandma, cat puns. But you know what's not awesome? I'm about to go to bed. It's August 26th, so I'm getting married in three weeks, I think. Um, I'm stressed about money because I've just been working my ass off to try to pay for this wedding. And I know that, like, no matter how hard I work, it's just, I'm just getting deeper and deeper into debt. Sue booked that venue, opened up that whole can of worms, 12 months, 150 invitations, and $24,000 ago. When we first got engaged, I um, had, like, I had a couple months where I had, I was having a lot of panic attacks and feeling really overwhelmed at the thought of planning a wedding and doing this big thing and incurring this, like, huge cost and expense all of those choices that you get to make to show the world who you are as a couple, they cost money. Every element of the wedding, flowers, dresses, invites, napkins, it all costs real American dollars. And those costs can just mount and mount and mount in ways that you do not expect. This week is candles. Um, okay, you would not think that that is such a big deal. So like, our venue's not supplying candles, right? So we have to bring them ourselves. And they're, like, expensive. Um, I got it in my head that I want, like, little votives, right? And then I want, like, pillar candles of different heights on every table just to, like, look cute. And we have 20 tables. So to do that on every table, I don't know. You got, I went to Michael's today and I spent $100. That's how the costs start to pile up. $100 at Michael's here, $100 at Michael's there. But what does it all add up to? So on this, I'm bringing in our trusty numbers woman, producer Christine Driscoll. Hello, Christine. Hi, Rachel. So, Christine, at this point, listening to the amount of money that Sue and Austin are spending on things like candles, I'm wondering, how much does a wedding cost? Well, I looked at a few different sources and found slightly different numbers, but somewhere between twenty-six dollars and $32,000 on average is what people spend. Okay, so basically just like put a down payment on a house and then get married. Yes, yeah. But there actually is more to the numbers than that. Go on. Do you remember in middle school when you learned about mean, median, and mode? Um, 
mostly. (laughs) So median is the exact middle value of a bunch of numbers if you line them up in order. So if you have one, two, three, four, five, three is the median. The mode is the number that occurs the most frequently. So a set of numbers? Yes. So if you had like one, 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 five, one is the mode. And then the mean is the sum of all the numbers divided by how many you added. Oh, mean is just like average. Yes, exactly. But averages are tricky. So, for example, if we each had a wedding and you spent a dollar on your wedding and I spent $99 on my wedding, then the mean would be $50, right? Yeah. Okay. But in reality, like, I had a much nicer wedding. (laughs) That's probably (laughs) true. So the mode would be the better thing to report. Um, You'd get a much better picture of, like, what was actually being spent. Okay. So do you have a mode of what people are spending on weddings? Well, that's the catch. So... Big bride, big bridal magazines, they don't want you to know about the mode, like what's normal. They want you to be like ready to spend a bunch of money. And I found a report from a company called The Wedding Report, which is specifically made for people who work in the wedding industry, who are marketing to brides. So it has a much better picture of like what's actually happening. And what I found there is that almost half of weddings are um, are actually less than $10,000. That's actually not that bad. That's like an okay number. Right, exactly. But those big averages that we talked about, like twenty six dollars to $32,000, they're misleading because it's like the survey sample is people who are already subscribed to Bride Magazine or are like on the knot and they're like really into planning this wedding, kind of spending a lot of money. So it's exactly the kind of people who are already into the idea of like a big expensive wedding who are being represented in these surveys. Right. And so the results are a little bit skewed. And that might be deliberate. It's certainly advantageous. Because if you are thinking like, oh, if I'm going to have a wedding, it has to be $26,000, like you're primed to be ready to spend that much money. And so the New Yorker writer, Rebecca Mead, actually wrote a book about the whole wedding industry. And she wrote about how like this number is really great for the industry that it's so high because people are expecting to pay more. So did you find out like the total cost of weddings like in America, like how much is spent for people to get married in this country? Well, it is it is really hard to track. But Wedding Report reported that in 2015, um, about $57.89 billion was... Uh, $58 billion. Yes. Billion with a B. B is in boy. And I have one more thing to share with you. Okay. I found a study about, you know, people are spending all this money on weddings. And so two economists looked to see whether how much money you spent had any relationship with whether or not your marriage lasted. Uh-huh. And what they found was that it was actually inversely correlated. So... The more you spent, the higher the risk of divorce. And for women specifically, if their wedding was between five and ten thousand dollars, they had a higher chance of their marriage lasting than if you spent more than twenty thousand dollars. So if you spent more than twenty thousand dollars, you're screwed. Yes. (laughs) All right, Christine, thank you so much. No problem. So this makes sense to me. With all the money being spent on weddings, that there would be a backlash, a DIY backlash. And so there are people like Sue and Austin who are out there trying to save money. It's a good reason to have a DIY wedding. It's not just that it's trendy to get married in a barn. It's like cheaper to get married in a barn. And maybe it's better for your marriage. So we wanted to put this idea to someone with a sociology background. So we spoke to Tamara Snezek, the chair of the Department of Sociology at California State University, Stanislaus, because it seemed like the idea of a DIY wedding was a particularly recent phenomenon. I would argue that people have been doing DIY long before that, that the middle class suffered during the recession. But people of color and lower income folks always did DIY weddings. So that's only a new experience for middle-class white women. And I see it now. I see it in my more diverse couples. 
they have whole systems for DIY, probably that actually better prepares them than middle-class women. They're really creative. Like the Mexicans I interviewed here, family members would all pitch in and take responsibility for certain things, and it would spread the costs amongst the larger family. So like uncle, you know, so-and-so would pay for the band. And this auntie would pay for um, the dress, and someone would pay for the haul. The catch is, when you do a DIY wedding, you have to do the wedding yourself. And that's creating a lot of work, especially when you don't have a whole community of support set up. Hi, it's Austin. And the wedding is 17, 18 days out. What stressed me out today was stressful was the bar. So I literally went through and and deciphered how many drinks I thought each person would have. And then on average, how much a drink would cost to figure out if it was better to do per consumption or open bar. I know there will be some drinkers at the wedding who could easily send us over that $3,000 mark. So we'll see, you know, it's a very stressful thing. A very stressful thing that you are not getting paid to do. Coming up after the break, what happens when planning a wedding becomes a second job? Welcome back to Surprisingly Awesome. I'm Rachel Ward, and this week is part one of our two-part wedding extravaganza. Today is Tuesday, next Saturday. Less than two weeks. Oh my God, yeah. The wedding is getting closer. And Sue and Austin are managing a lot of stuff. So I went to a wedding a couple weeks ago and they had iced coffee and I was like, this is freaking genius. How do we not She's think of this? She's going to charge us two more dollars a person to do that. You think so? <laughs> I mean, I can ask. I'll ask. I'd pay a dollar a person for it. You would? Yeah. All right. We got our final invoice on Friday uh, yeah, from the yeah, king. you guys. <laughs> we originally told her like, $25 a person. Um, and she's like, well, you can spend that at Burger King. That's what she said. She doesn't pull punches. The wedding is two weeks out. And you can hear how tired Sue and Austin are. Really, it represents a ton of work. That's Tamara Sneezik again. Another reason we wanted to talk to her is because she wrote a paper about wedding planning. It's something she fell into when she was planning her own wedding. So I was surprised by some of the tensions and conflicts that you have to deal with that come up during planning. I thought that was, was really interesting and wanted to explore that more. So the veil kind of fell off of your eyes and you were like, wow, there's a lot more going on here. Yeah, I love that. The veil. <laughs> Good metaphor, right? Uh, <laughs> um, terrible pun. Okay, metaphor. <laughs> Tamara says realizing how much unseen work was happening in her own wedding made her want to dig into it. And the result was this paper that she published in Qualitative Sociology in 2005. Is it our day or the bride's day? The division of wedding labor and its meaning for couples. She'd ask the couples she was studying, how do you divide up the work? And they would even say specifically they're very egalitarian in the wedding planning. Oh, we both work equally hard at planning this wedding. And it wasn't really true, at least um, from when I would go and compare that to actually looking at their planners and, you know, recording step by step, okay, who did this, who did that, and who put the work into this and that. And on every case, it was never equal on any of the couples. 
the women always did more. And even the ones where it was more close to equal, the woman was the manager. So she did extra work to make sure (laughs) he was doing more, which is extra work. (laughs) We know this intuitively from our jobs. Managers have the work of managing people. That's a job. But we don't notice that labor so much outside of the workplace. For Sue and Austin, Sue is the manager. I was designing the save the dates and like sending out the save the dates and talking about the guest list. And he's like, you're not including me in anything. And I was like, oh, you can do the food. I think she gave me the more like what I thought would be the fun path, uh, knowing that that might like help me get into the planning because the planning stressed me out pretty bad. Uh, And the fun path that I've taken on i.e. the food and the music, uh, have turned out to be not so fun. In her paper, Tamara writes about this bride, Sarah, specifically about how Sarah's wedding invitations were chosen. Sarah presented a few options to her fiancé, and then they, quote, chose the invitations together. But behind that together, there was a whole bunch of work. Tamara says Sarah was leaving out a lot of backstory. Oh, well... I compare these different, I look at prices, I look at this font, and then it went to this place and that place. Yeah, and by the time he actually got involved, she had done tons of work. There's another element of wedding planning work that people don't talk about. Making decisions is hard work. It is actual work. This work is not only unacknowledged, it's unpaid. And honestly, it's worth a lot. Christine, come back. More numbers. Hello, Rachel. (laughs) So... Can you tell me, how much does an hour of work planning a wedding cost? Well, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the median pay for professional event planners is $22.52 an hour. And how long does it take to plan a wedding? According to a 2010 survey by Forbes, a woman spends almost 10 hours a week working on her wedding. And the average length of an engagement that year was 14 months. Okay, so 14 months times the number of hours a woman spends planning a wedding, it is... Almost 550 hours. Okay, so the dollar amount, if you're going to pay yourself like a wedding planner, is... More than $12,000. More than $12,000. So that is $12,000 that a person should be making to plan a wedding, except that most of them make nothing and... Unfortunately, usually it is women doing this, this wedding planning. This is Katie Wannan, wedding planner and advocate for Get Yours, Girl. And that's a whole other podcast, probably. But I think that women tend to undervalue their time, and they don't think about how much time and how many hours it actually takes to plan a wedding. Think of it this way. Katie has monetized all that work that other women are doing for free. So I actually used to live in New York City, and I produced theater on the side and also um, assisted a Broadway producer. So I was kind of a theater nerd. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, producing an event and producing theater, a show, were actually very similar, used a lot of the same skills. Katie can attest to exactly how much work goes into wedding planning and how it deserves to be recognized as a job. There's no reason that someone who just got engaged should suddenly have all the skills and knowledge to produce a really large event. You know, it just makes, it makes no sense. Even if they worked their butts off and, you know, spent a hundred hours over the year planning their wedding, they may never use that knowledge ever again. It's not like parenting where you don't know what the hell you're doing, but you're then able to apply that knowledge year after year after year. So why not hire someone who 
has done many, many, many weddings over many years and has that knowledge and has those resources and can can help you through it. So when women DIY their weddings, it means they wind up effectively paying themselves nothing for a ton of labor. I think that a lot of women feel guilty if they actually don't want to do this. It's like society is telling them that they should want to take this on and do it all themselves. And, you know, I just don't think that that's right. It just ain't right. And it doesn't stop at whether or not the labor that goes into planning a wedding is paid or unpaid. Tamara, our sociologist, she's noticed that how you plan your wedding can have ramifications for how your marriage plays out. Remember how planning labor was almost always distributed unequally? Tamara found that even when couples weren't sharing wedding planning work equally, they would act like they were. Our ideology tells us that we're supposed to be modern, equal couples. So, yeah, I think it is threatening to the relationship. It's the worst, because not only do you have to do more work, you also have to, like, do the work of pretending you're not doing more work. Yes. Yes. Can you imagine? I can. I mean... It's very realistic. (laughs) And one of the things I argue in the paper is it, it sets her up for taking on a larger burden in other similar work, because I compare wedding work to like housework and what we call kin work. Kin work is the work that largely women do to maintain family relationships and family ties. So, for instance, women are the ones who organize funerals, not men. Women organize reunions and birthday parties and brisses or whatever. Women are the backbone of family. And weddings are a microcosm of kin keeping and housework and clothing and, and feeding and hosting, which is fine, except they don't necessarily get credit for it. I think wedding is the foreshadowing of that future role that she's going to have as the kin keeper. Wow, it's so dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you look at some couples, how the division of kin work breaks down, It can be pretty dark, but it's not for Sue and Austin. They talk all the time about who does what. They're actually really open about it. I have very uh, defined things that I'm in charge of. He's on a need-to-know basis. Uh Yep, exactly. So that's a positive thing. If you're not actually dividing up the work equally, it's good to acknowledge that it is work and not just pretend that everything is equal. It's healthy for your nomos. Here's Tamara again. Nomos is a word to describe a joint reality that the couple holds. When you're with someone long enough as a couple, you come to see the world in very similar ways and almost so much to the point that you wait to talk to your partner before you decide on the reality. So let's say you think somebody you meet is a total jerk. You say to yourself, I think this guy is a total jerk, but let me check in. You talk to your partner, like, wasn't he a total jerk? Yeah, what a total jerk. And then together, it confirms your reality, and it becomes a joint reality, which is stronger sometimes than your own sense of reality. So it's this little joint reality that the couple shares. Boy, the wedding really puts that out there and makes you firm that up and really makes it harden. But what Tamara's really worried about is not just couples failing to share work equally. It's when they tell themselves that they did everything 50-50. 
When they do that, they're inserting a lie into their nomos from the very start. They're making inequality part of their bedrock. And that pattern will just replicate itself over the life of a relationship. That's not the only example of nomos, though. Nomos is a sociology word for that thing that you see all of the time, where a couple stops being two people and starts being a couple. Here's an example from one of the bridesmaids, Anna. They're just so cute. They really care about each other. I feel like one of the biggest things about them is that when they moved in together, Sue has two cats and Austin is not a cat person. And now Austin's a cat person, like maybe even more than Sue now. (laughs) That's a really big thing to change someone into a cat person. (laughs) (laughs) It's the power of love. Austin doesn't care about cats, but Sue and Austin They love cats. Nomos is stronger than your own preferences. When you're planning a wedding, you're working on your nomos, whether you know it or not. Nomos can make you a cat person. It can establish how you approach problems, how you divide up work. It is the reality from which you operate when you are facing times of stress and strife. And what is a wedding if not stress and strife? Hey guys, uh, I thought you might want to know that I got in a bike uh, spill last night. The wedding is on Saturday. Sue and Austin both sent us messages separately just days before the wedding. I like hit a rock on my way up the Williamsburg Bridge and landed on my handlebars and the pointy end jabbed into my like pelvis. Um, and it was hurt a lot. And I um, am still in a lot of pain and walking funny. He doesn't like doctors and stuff, and I'm the same way. Um, But it seemed like he might have bruised some organs, so I was worried. um, And I kind of told him to go to the doctor, and he didn't want to. And So I am a little worried about what that means for, like, I don't know, any weekend activities and or dancing. I don't think it's the kind of thing where I need to go to the doctor. I really don't want to spend the money uh, or time on it. Um, but it's just kind of a thing that we're dealing with before the wedding. It was really scary because I've never seen him injured that badly. You know, it's just, it's a lot right now. Next week on Surprisingly Awesome, Sue and Austin, part two. Surprisingly Awesome's theme music is by Nicholas Bertel. Our ad music is by Bill Buildings. Additional music came from Kyle Morton, Sex Life, and Sholo. We were edited this week by Annie Rostresser and produced by Christine Driscoll and Ricky Nevetsky. Our field producers were Sylvie Douglas and Nick Fountain. Hire Sylvie. Listen to Nick's Fenway Park story on Planet Money. Production assistance from Jacob Cruz, Emily Kennedy, Melanie Crivellis, Jessica Langley, Sarah Melton, and Sarah Stodder. Thank you to Meg Keen at A Practical Wedding, Aaron Bowl, the proprietrix of the Instagram account Pisces Bride, and Stevie Lane, who designed our wedding invitation to help us find Sue and Austin. And one final note, people, there are a lot of voter registration deadlines coming up. If you want to vote, check your registration status. And if you are not registered, do it. You can find out how at vote.usa.gov. Surprisingly Awesome is a production of Gimlet Media. 
I was like, oh, I don't need flowers or anything. And then I um, started thinking about it. And now there's going to be a station where people can make their own flower crowns. And it's going to be cute and adorable. <laughs> I'm leaning into this, Rachel. I see your face and you're like, really? I'm leaning into the farm thing. This is exactly what Sheryl Sandberg was talking about. Yes. yes. When she think, said lean in. Yeah. She was talking about a woman's right to have a, an elaborate wedding. <laughs> there was a whole chapter on flower crowns, if I remember. Yes, exactly. <laughs> She's wearing one in the author photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.